Welcome all you sports fans to another show. This is the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Happy to be here on this Thursday. Broadcasted on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan from 5 to 6 p.m. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, Backwoods Barbecue, and Planet Fitness. This is episode 476 on this Thursday, October the 6th. 2022 and we have got a great show for you i'm gonna have my broadcast partner and co-host Corey bank to do our nfl picks for week six and then i'm gonna have gabe reynolds on the show as we're gonna recap the dallas cowboys talk a little bit about alabama football and the nba as they got their preseason going on right now major league baseball playoffs are this friday i'm gonna preview that and who could win the world series But first, before we begin, I am up in the metro Atlanta area for work today. My old stomping grounds. Lived in Atlanta from 2006 to 2015. And in those nine years that I was in Atlanta, it was a great time. We had some great times in the city of Atlanta. I love talking about sports. In fact, I started my YouTube channel back in 2009, and it was based on Atlanta sports. I had no ties to Columbus. As big as the Atlanta market is, and I've embraced all the Atlanta sports, I think the team that was near and dear to my heart, because it was 10 minutes away from my house, was Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State basketball team, I went to about four or five games during the time I was living there. I did see the Kennesaw State football spring game, but they formed the football team right when I was on the way out, headed towards Columbus in 2015. So many great memories of the Metro Atlanta area, and they got some incredible high schools as well. Me calling high school football, just a big shout out to North Cobb, Sprayberry, Harrison, Kennesaw Mountain, Etowah, Woodstock. Just a lot of great high schools. We do have high school football this week. For week seven, the high school game of the week is the battle for the Bruccelli Jug. St. Epicelli at Brookstone. It should be a great game. And Thrift Behringer and DJ Jones will have the call on Flavor 92.1. I know they'll be calling a good game. And plus, Dave Plata will be calling it for St. Epicelli. And Scott Miller will be calling it for Brookstone. Corey and I are will be at the swamp as the three and three Glenwood Gators, three and one in the AISA. They're taking on Monroe Academy. You got Russell County that's taking on Pike Road on the road, and then you have Smith Station taking on Opelika. So there is a slate of games all around the Chattahoochee Valley that I am super excited about. Well, it's no surprise. I'm going to go ahead and say it on this podcast because it's actually public knowledge now. A big shout out to Rex Castillo. Uh, Rex is actually going to be the new morning news anchor for WRBL. And I hope that Rex and Jack just continue doing sports together because that is such a dynamic duo. Uh, Good luck to Rex. I wish him nothing but the best. I know that Jack Patterson is going to come in and completely blow it out of the water because he does a phenomenal job Um, are they going to get somebody to fill in that is the big question 
The Major League season has ended, 162 games. The Braves lose to the Marlins. The Mets win, and so they have identical records of 101 and 61. However, the Braves did have the tiebreaker over the Mets, winning the season series 10-9. to And now the Major League Baseball playoffs will start. I like this new format where you got the wild card games. It's a best of three series, and the team with the lowest seed gets to host all three games at home. Starting at noon on ESPN, you have the Tampa Bay Rays taking on the Cleveland Guardians. You got to remember, because all three games are at home, that's a huge home field advantage for the Guardians, and all they have to do is win two. Then you have the Philadelphia Phillies back in the postseason for the first time since 2010. And back then, I thought they had an incredible dynasty. They won the World Series in 2008. They went back to the World Series in 2009. They kind of reminded me of the Seattle Seahawks because they had a great lineup of future Hall of Famers. I mean, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Pasito Polanco, Carlos Ruiz, Shane Victorino. They had Hunter Pence. They were just incredible. And their pitching staff, Roy Holiday, Roy Oswalt, Cliff Lee. I mean, are you kidding me? That was the last time the Phillies made the postseason. And now they're back. Taken on a St. Louis Cardinals team that usually is here just about every year. The Cardinals did lose in that one-game playoff to the Dodgers last season. But anything could happen in that first game. Uh, Zach Wheeler is going to go for the Phillies. And uh, this is a very important series because the winner of this series will take on the Atlanta Braves in the divisional series. You got the Seattle Mariners making it to the postseason for the first time since 2001. Do you remember those uh, days with Ichiro and Brett Boone? Well, they're taking on the Toronto Blue Jays, a team with Vlad Guerrero, George Springer. They got a potent lineup. And, of course, Kevin Gosman, Marcus Stroman. They got some great pitching. Alex Manoa, who went 16-7 with a 2-2-4 ERA, is going to get start in Game 1. And then the nightcap. The San Diego Padres taking on the New York Mets. Hugh Darvish for the Padres taking on whoever the Mets are going to throw out there. Will they throw out DeGrom? Will they throw out Scherzer? You know, the Mets are a heavy favorite in this game. I mean, they won 101 games, and they're hosting the wild card. That's how important it was to win that division. The Atlanta Braves will await the winner of the Cardinals-Philly series and that will take place. Game one of the NLDS at Truett's Park will take place on Tuesday, October 11th. Game two will be on Wednesday, October 12th. So get your tickets now. I know that they're, they are going to go fast. The Atlanta Braves are back in the postseason. And it is going to be incredible. The Yankees and the Astros have the other two buys in the American League, and then the Dodgers have the overall number one seed in the National League. So who's going to win the World Series? I really like the Astros. I think the Astros that got to the World Series last year, they didn't have Justin Verlander. I think they're better this year. And with Justin Verlander, you have a big-time pitcher that could pitch in Game 1. He's a workhorse. You could throw him Game 1, Game 4, and Game 7 if it comes down to a best-of-seven series. The Houston Astros look great. I just don't think the Yankees have the pitching. If they met the Astros in the ALCS, I think the Astros would have the advantage when it comes to pitching. 
Over in the National League, I just don't see a scenario where the Dodgers can get by with the pitching they have. With Walker Bueller getting injured, Clayton Kershaw's health is kind of up in the air. I mean, they do have Julio Urias. They have Tony Gonsolin. I mean, I consider them to be one of the favorites. I also consider the Mets to be one of the favorites. I think the Mets get by the Padres. And that means the Mets would play the Dodgers in the NLDS. And the Mets have a shot at knocking off the Dodgers. Yes, it is possible that we could see a Braves-Mets NLCS, which the Braves would have home field advantage. The Braves had home field advantage last year. I love these Thursday shows because I don't talk about sports on Fridays because I have my high school football show. So Corey Bank and I will be on for the Friday Night Lights preview review show for week seven for high school football in the Chattahoochee Valley. And I got to say, that is a very popular show. Just a lot of people talking about it. A lot of coaches and players listen to the show. And it is a hit. Going to preview some college football. Starting with the Saturday games, you have the big noon kickoff on Fox, Michigan, and Indiana. You got Tennessee and LSU on ESPN. TCU and Kansas. Man, these are some massive noon kickoff games. Looking forward to it. The 3.30 games, you got the Auburn-Georgia game that's on CBS. Utah and UCLA, that game is on Fox. You know, I'm going to be flipping through the channels. Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is my dark horse to make it to the college football playoff. I don't have Sleen anymore. I actually converted over to YouTube TV, so I don't have the Pac-12 network. I will not be watching Washington taking on Arizona State. Washington State and USC, that game is on Fox. Uh, some of the night games... BYU and Notre Dame is on NBC at 7.30 at night. Florida State and NC State on the ACC network. And then the game that everybody's been waiting for, Texas A&M taking on Alabama. And those are all the ranked games. Let's look at some of the local games. Duke is taking on Georgia Tech. They got a big win over Pittsburgh last week. Duke's favored by three and a half. That game is at Bobby Dodd. You realize that, right? I know Duke is 4-1, and one, but Georgia Tech, they have all the confidence in the world. Brent Key, 1-0 as the interim head coach, and I think Georgia Tech is going to win that game. Uh, Miami is hosting North Carolina. Miami's favored. This is their first game since they got embarrassed by Middle Tennessee State. So looking forward to that game. Uh, some of the other local games. Let's go over to the Sun Belt. Let's go over to a huge rivalry game between two state opponents georgia southern goes to center park stadium to take on georgia state it's rare that these two schools are good at the same time georgia state will end up going to a bowl game and then georgia southern will have a bad year and then they'll flip-flop but since georgia state has been a football program since 2010 because i remember i was living in atlanta when georgia state actually came on the scene and was in existence Georgia Southern just needed an in-state rival. Well, you got one. This is a fascinating matchup. I think Georgia Southern wins. I think Georgia Southern is just on a mission, and they should get the job done. Other local teams in the state of Georgia, let's go to the FCS, where Mercer is one of the top teams in the FCS. They are hosting Western Carolina at the Five Star Stadium in Macon, Georgia. That place is going to be completely packed. They get about 11,000 fans in there. They love their Mercer football down in Macon. 
You got Kennesaw State. It's their homecoming. They're one and three on the season. They're taking on North Alabama. I just drove by Fifth Third Bank Stadium a while ago in Kennesaw State. They have a great fan base. It's not just the alumni that went to KSU. It's also the community, the people that live in Kennesaw, Marietta, Ackworth, Cartersville, all the surrounding counties. They love their Kennesaw State football. I know it seems like Kennesaw State football takes a back seat to Georgia, Georgia Tech, but it's still a good product. It's still good football to watch. And they also get two-star and three-star athletes to come play for the Owls. NFL preview, I'm just going to run down all the, all the games. Of course, tonight, the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Denver Broncos. you got the Giants taking on the Packers in London. Can the Packers figure things out? They're 3-1, and one, but they haven't really looked solid on offense. Kenny Pickett gets his first start for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but good luck against that Bills defense. Chargers taking on the Browns. You got the Bears taking on the Vikings. The Lions taking on the Patriots. I don't see the Patriots losing that game. Uh, you imagine a Bill Belichick team that's 1-4? I can't. The Dolphins taking on the Jets. The Falcons taking on the Buccaneers. And the winner of this game will be in first place in the NFC South. The Tennessee Titans, who have won two straight, taking on the Washington Commanders. Hard to believe the Commanders beat the Jaguars week one. They have looked bad their last three games. The Texans taking on the Jaguars. The Jaguars are a good team. I think Trevor Lawrence has grown the most out of all the second-year quarterbacks. And how about the play of Trayvon Walker? The Jaguars are looking great. The 49ers taking on the Carolina Panthers. I know that Baker Mayfield is not the greatest quarterback. You got that stout defense by the 49ers taking on Baker Mayfield. But the player to watch is going to be Christian McCaffrey. I think that Christian McCaffrey could be open in spaces and he's hard to tackle. And I think that that could be a problem. But the 49ers are favored by six and a half. I think that they should win this game. And the 49er faithful are going to be in Charlotte. You're going to see a lot of red jerseys. It's going to be a takeover in Carolina. We saw this last year when the 49ers played the Jaguars. There was a lot of 49ers fans down in Jacksonville. The Cowboys taking on the Rams. Cooper Rush is going to be the starter. The owner, Jerry Jones, said that Dak Prescott is not ready. Can the Philadelphia Eagles remain unbeaten? They are playing Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. But, you know, the Cardinals are dysfunctional. I could see them losing that game. The Eagles are favored by five. The Sunday night game, the Bengals and the Ravens. That's always a classic matchup. And then the Raiders taking on the Chiefs Monday night. The Raiders really don't play well against the Chiefs. They've seemed to own the Raiders ever since Patrick Mahomes came into this league. All right, I think it's about time to bring on my broadcast partner and co-host for the Daily Dash, Corey Bank. We're going to make some football picks, so you don't want to go anywhere. We'll be right back with Corey, so stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Dash, and I got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, on the show. Corey, you ready to make some NFL picks for Week 5? Yes, let's. NFL picks begin. Okay. We're going to start with your Jets. I know you're a big-time Jets fan. 
Zach Wilson, he's made the comeback beating the Steelers last week. The Miami Dolphins are going to start Teddy Bridgewater as Tua Tungavailova is still out for the Dolphins. They faced their first loss last week, but they're taking on the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium. This is a rivalry game. You throw out the record books in these rivalry games. Corey, are you going to pick with your heart, or uh, have you done some uh, research on this? And uh, who comes out on top in this game? Yes, Richard. Since I am a Jet fan, it's an interesting one. But the Miami Dolphins head into this matchup with a 3-1 record this season. The last time they stepped on the gridiron, the Dolphins played the Bengals and took a loss by a final score of 27-15. Raheem Mostert led the offense in rushing for the Dolphins with 15 carries for 69 yards, a 4.6 yards per carry average. Tyreek Hill left with an average of 16 yards per reception by notching 160 yards on 10 receptions. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater connected on 14 of 23 with 193 yards passing and a touchdown. He had a quarterback rating of 84.1 and he finished the contest with one interception. When it came to the battle of the line of scrimmage, the Dolphins gave up 67 yards on 30 carries, which is very good for the rush defense. They only gave up about 2.2 yards per carry. Now the Miami Dolphins surrendered 21 completions on 32 attempts for a total of 304 yards and a completion percentage of 65.6 on the day. They ran 60 plays, which gave them a total of 378 yards. The Miami Dolphins ran the ball 22 times for 85 yards, which earned them a 3.9 yards per carry average. But the Jets come into this game with a 2-2 two and two record this season. The last time they stepped on the gridiron, the Jets got the win with this final score of 24-20 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Running back Brees Hall. Carried the rock 17 times for 66 yards, ending the game with a 3.9 yards per carry average for those New York football Jets. Now, Corey Davis was one of the featured targets for the Jets, grabbing five passes for 74 yards, a 14.8 yards per, per reception average. Zach Wilson had a touchdown. He finished the contest with 252 yards passing, 18 to 36, while the rating was just 59. He tossed two picks, and his average yards per pass attempt was only seven yards. The New York Jets surrendered 31 rushing attempts for 119 yards, allowing 3.8 yards per rush. The Jets' secondary conceded a completion percentage of 65.4%, relinquishing 178 yards on 17 of 26 passing through the air. The Jets ended up finishing with 348 yards of their own, running 67 plays, 5.2 yards per play. The New York Jets ran for 3.4 yards per attempt, finishing with a total of 98 yards on the ground on 29 attempts. But here's the thing. The Jets have really put it together. They're fighting for their coach, Robert Sala. The New York Jets... I take this one at home. 
They will snap their home losing streak, and they will snap the drought that they have in the series against the Miami Dolphins. I like that pick, Corey. I like the Jets. I like the Dolphins. I'm actually going to pick the Dolphins here. I'm going to go against the grain, but two outstanding coaching staffs, uh, former 49ers assistants. So uh, that's something to think about. All right, let's move on to the Chargers and the Browns. Both teams are 2-2. Two and two. The Chargers get a win over the Texans last week. The Cleveland Browns drop to the Atlanta Falcons. You've got Justin Herbert, who's not really having that great of a year, but Austin Eckler, he killed me in my fantasy league as I was playing a team with Austin Eckler who had three touchdowns, and uh, that was the dagger that dropped me to 2-2. Two and two. The Sandy – ah. The Los Angeles Chargers have a very talented team, but they're going to be without Joey Bosa for some, some for a while now. Uh, Cleveland's playing at home. I think the Browns win this game, but Corey, who do you have between these two teams and in a must-win situation as both teams are two and two? The Los Angeles Chargers heading to this game, like you said, Richard, a two and two record on the season when they last took the field. The Chargers played against the Texans and earned a victory with a final score of 34 to 24. Justin Herbert went 27 to 39 with 340 yards through the air and two touchdowns. He had a QB rating of 113.2 and ended the contest with no picks. Mike Williams had an average of 17.1 yards per catch by tallying. 120 yards on seven receptions. Running back Austin Eckler was the rushing leader for the Chargers with 13 carries for 60 yards, 4.6 yards of tenth. Now they ran 67 plays, which gave them 419 yards in the game. The Los Angeles Chargers ended up rushing 27 different times, accounting for 81 yards, which had them at a three yards per carry average. When it came to stopping the run, the Chargers conceded 131 yards on 14 attempts, which is a very tough one on that defensive front. 9.4 yards per rush at surrendered. Los Angeles surrendered 26 pass completions on 35 attempts for 215 yards and a completion percentage of 74.3%. Now the Browns step onto the field holding Oswell a 2-2 two two record in the season. When they last stepped onto the field, the Browns took a loss by a score of 23-20. When they played the Falcons, Jacoby Brissett ended the game with 234 yards on 21-35 passing while his quarterback rating was 68. He tossed one pick and his average yards per attempt was 6.7. Nick Chubb ran the football 19 times for 118 yards, finishing the contest with a 6.2 yards per carry average. David Njoku was the leading receiver for the Browns, hauling five passes for 73 yards, a 14.6 yards perception attempt average. Now the Cleveland rushing team, they finished the contest with 177 yards on the ground on 35 attempts, five point yards, one yard per attempt. The Browns finished the game, conceding completion percentage of surrendering 131 yards on 7 of 19 through the air. Cleveland conceded 35 rushing attempts for 202 yards, a 5.8 yards per carry average, Richard. But here's the thing. 
the Browns will take the victory, the dog pound on this one. I like that pick, Corey. I, I got the Browns in this one as well. Let's go to the Fox NFL game of the week, the Dallas Cowboys going to SoFi Stadium. 3-1, and one, they're 3-0 and oh with Cooper Rush as the starter. They're taking on the Los Angeles Rams, who got humiliated against the San Francisco 49ers on Monday night, playing on a short week. The Rams are back at home, but they have got to do something with that offensive line. And Dallas, right now, I think that Dallas could get the victory against a Rams team, which don't really have much of a home field advantage. You're going to see a lot of Cowboys fans at SoFi. And I think Cooper Rush is going to start this game. I don't believe that Dak Prescott is going to be ready. And the Cowboys are going to continue to roll through their schedule and they knock off a depleted Rams team. What do you think, Corey? The Dallas Cowboys head into this matchup with a 3-1 record on the year, Richard. When they last took the field, the Cowboys faced the Commanders and notched a win by a score of 25-10. Ezekiel Elliott led the offense in rushing for the Cowboys with 19 counts for 49 yards at 2.6 yards per carry average. Not a sufficient day for him. But C.D. Lamb averaged 16.2 yards reception per four receptions by tallying 97 yards on six receptions. Cooper Rush went 15 of 27 for 223 yards passing and two touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 107.5 and the end of the game without a pick. Now, in this game, the Cowboys conceded 142 yards on 27 attempts. They gave up a 5.3 yards per carry average. Dallas relinquished 25 completions on 42 tries for 155 yards and a completion percentage of 59.5%. When the final whistle blew, they had 57 plays, which tallied 279 yards. The Dallas Cowboys ended up rushing 29 different times, compiling just 62 yards, a 2.1 per carry average. So the Rams had this one with a 2-2 two and two record. The last time they stepped onto the football field, the Rams walked away with a loss by a score of 24-9 to against the 49ers. Matthew Stafford finished the game with 254 yards on 32 of 48 passing, while his quarterback rating was just a measly 71. He had one pick, and his average yards per attempt was 5.3. Cooper Cooper Cup was featured in the passing game for the Rams, grabbing 14 balls for 122 yards and 8.7 yards per carry per catch average. Daryl Henderson ran for seven times for just 27 yards, ending the contest with 3.9 yards per carry average. The Rams finished the contest with 257 yards, only averaging 33.5 yards of play. Los Angeles Rams rushed the football 3.2 yards per attempt for 57 on the game. The Los Angeles Rams allowed 22 attempts for 88 yards, and the Rams' pass defense allowed a completion rate of 59.3%, 239 yards through the air on 16 of 27. In this one, Richard, I'm going to take the red-hot, stay-hot Cowboys. 
A great pick. Now our final pick, the Sunday night NFL football game on NBC, the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Baltimore Ravens. This is for the NFC North. The Bengals have won two straight. Joe Burrow has thrown six touchdowns and no picks in that two-game winning streak. And Lamar Jackson has got his favorite running back back, J.K. Dobbins. They've blown big leads. And Lamar Jackson plays better when he's got a lead. I think because Baltimore is playing at home, this is a rivalry game. I think that Baltimore wins this game. I think that Lamar Jackson, his star shines brighter under the primetime lights. I think the Baltimore Ravens get this done and they get the victory. What do you say, Corey? Well, in the last contest, the Cincinnati Bengals step onto the field with a 2-2 two and two record. They're starting to get it together as a team. They got their win against the Miami Dolphins of a score of 27-15. Joe Burrow went 20-31 of 31 with 287 yards passing and two touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 115.9 and ended the game with no picks. T. Higgins was his intended target all night long. 17.7 yards per catch. Seven catches on the game for 124 yards. Joe Mixon was the best rusher on the Bengals team. 24 carries for 61 yards. Not very good on the ground. Average 2.5 yards. Once the final whistle blew, they ran 63 plays. And they turned it into 371 yards. The Cincinnati Bengals ran the football 30 different times for 67 yards. Which came out to an average of only 2.2. But when it came to stopping the run, Richard, the Bengals gave up 85 yards on 22 attempts, which is 3.9 yards per carry average allowed. Cincinnati allowed 22 completions on 37 attempts for 293 yards and a completion rate of 59.5%. The Ravens come into this game with 2-2 two and two on the season. The last time they stepped on the gridiron, the Ravens took a defeat with a final score of 23-20 to when they played the Buffalo Bills. J.K. Dobbins ran the football 13 times for 41 yards in the game. 3.2 yards per carry average for the Baltimore Ravens. J.K. Dobbins was also the leading receiver, a Swiss Army knife indeed, showing his capability of catching the balls out of the backfield and running between the tackles. Four catches for 22 yards, 5.5 yards per catch ratio. Lamar Jackson, one touchdown finished in the game. He went 20 of 29, 144 yards, while his quarterback rating was just 63. He threw two interceptions in the game. His average yards per pass attempt was only five yards. The Baltimore Ravens conceded 25 carries for 125 yards on the ground. Five yards per rush average. The Ravens' pass defense allowed a completion rate of 52.8%, surrendering 201 yards on 19 of 36 passing. The Ravens finished the contest with a total of 296 yards, while they ran 64 plays, 4.6 yards per play. Baltimore rushed the ball 49, 4.9 yards per attempt, totaling 162 yards on 33 carries. In the battle of the AFC North, I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, so you are going against the grain, taking the road team 
I like that pick, though. I mean, it's going to be a great game. Uh, looking forward to that Sunday night game. Uh, Corey, as always, thank you for being on the Daily Dash and uh, making the NFL picks for week five. It should be a fun week of watching football. Absolutely, Richard. Always a pleasure to join you. All right. That was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. We'll be right back with Gabe Reynolds. Welcome back to the show. And on the show, back to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and the Alabama Crimson Tide is Gabe Reynolds. And Gabe, I know the last time that you were on the show, the Cowboys lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But how about that Cooper Rush? 4-0 as a starter. Sounds like it's a controversy brewing in Big D. I'm just saying, Cooper Rush has gotten them, gotten them back to the top of the NFC East. And Dak lost. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that Dakota ain't the starter, but you got to look at what's going on right now. Remember, Tony Romo was hurt. Dak came in. Tony Romo never got his job back. You don't want to mess with chemistry. I get what they're saying the right stuff out of Dallas. Hey, Dak's our quarterback. We're going to stick with Dak. We're going to ride. Dak got I, – I get it. You done invested all that money in them. I get it. But Cooper Rush is undefeated. Your team is in second place in the NFC East. I don't know. If, what the, what's all saying? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. True. So they play the Rams on Sunday. The Rams, I'm just going to come out and say it. They got embarrassed by the 49ers. The defending Super Bowl champions, something is wrong. Their offensive line is not the same. When Andrew Whitworth retired, they forgot to spend money on the offensive line. I mean, what good is having a defensive line with Aaron Donald when all you got to do is just not run the ball near Aaron Donald? They can't just give Cooper Cup 20 receptions. I really favor the Cowboys in this game because you have the Cowboys defense going up against that O-line for the Rams, and uh, Cooper Cup is only one player. I, I don't know, Gabe. What do you think about the Cowboys' chances against the Rams? 50-50. Is being played at SoFi Stadium, that's practically a home game for the Cowboys. Yeah, but who's the quarterback? Well, it's going to be either Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott. Dak says he's going to be ready. Here, but here's the thing, though. Remember, it goes back to what I'm saying. I, I honestly, let me let me let me touch bases on the Rams first. The Rams went all in to win last year when they let Von Miller. You had the, you had a tandem of Von Miller and Aaron Donald. That was going to wreak, wreak havoc on anybody's offensive line, right? You yes. let Von Miller go. Then you didn't show up your O-line like you said. Then you lost OBJ. You never went out and got another premier uh, receiver. You didn't get another receiver that could stretch the field. Like you said, Cooper Rush is – I mean, not Cooper Rush. Uh, uh, Cooper Cup is only one person. He's only one person. He, he, he can't do it all. And then you don't have a, you don't have a, 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 a running back – you got running back by committee that's in the backfield. So you're kind of at a you're, – you're getting exploited in a lot of ways, whereas last year Sean McVay was looking like – not Sean McVay. Uh, yeah, Sean McVay was looking like a, 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 a genius right now. But this year is not, it's, it's not going as well. So they got to figure out a lot of – they got a lot to figure out on the Rams side. Um, on the Cowboys side, your offense is starting to click a little bit. Um, your defense is, is, is really clicking, but your offense is clicking with Cooper Rush as your QB. 
your offense wasn't clicking when you had Dak Prescott because, the to be honest, the O-line wasn't really protecting him. Cooper Rush is getting a lot of time in the pocket back there. Zeke is being able to get some run lanes. Tony Pollard is able to get out and get catch, catch the ball in the flat and get out. C.D. Lamb is able to stretch the field. I don't know. That's why I say it's a 50-50 game. I get it. It's it's practically a home game for the for the Cowboys, but I, I think it's a toss-up right now. I, I really think it's a toss-up. Well, if you look at who the Cowboys have played so far, they beat the Washington Commanders, they beat the New York Giants, and they beat, on that, that first game, they beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And it, it was a very close game, but Cooper Rush... 3-0 as a starter this year. He's 4-0 as a starter. Looking at the schedule, they play the Rams for the Fox game of the week next week. And then they travel to the city of brotherly love to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, they have a tough game against Arizona on the road. The Eagles could come in that game, and they could still be undefeated. That could be a battle for the NFC East. That's the Sunday night game in two weeks. I'm telling you, Gabe, I like how the schedule favors the Cowboys they do have some winnable games against the Texans and the Jaguars is this a playoff team regardless who the quarterback is if it's Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott I think they're a play they are a playoff team but it would it will depend on uh how things go can they keep people uh healthy can they keep can they get as they get players back from injury uh how they how they fit into the system um I think right now you can you you got the best of both worlds. You got you got Dak, you got uh Cooper, you got the best of both worlds when it comes to QB. But it it also is are your playmakers. Your playmakers are actually making plays. Zeke is out getting out and um uh, running the ball better. Um you got um C D Lamb stretching the field. You got uh Pollard that's getting out there and stretching the field. You got Parsons in that defense. So you got a you got a lot of plays being made in other areas. So you're not necessarily having to focus on on one position. Um it, it is going to be how the players adjust because if you bring if you rush Dak back, I, me personally, I I mean, I know he wants to play, but you gotta buy you got the bye week, uh I think in week eight. Unless, until you start seeing uh, Rush do some things because you, you beat the Giants, you beat the Commanders, you got to play the Eagles. Why not just let them play that way and then they haven't even seen Dak because you don't have much film on them. Save Dak for when you need to play, when you play them the second time around. That, that's just me. That's just me because the NFL changes every week. Everybody adjusts and adapts and it changes every week. But when you don't have film on a person, it's kind of hard to prepare. You're going back to last year. But if that offense is clicking, I mean, Dak may be in a situation where, you know, he he took how he took the job from uh, Romo. He, he he wants to get back out there to show that he, can, he still got it. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about college football because the game of the year is going to be in prime time in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, between the Texas A&M Aggies, who's actually struggled this year. I mean, they lost to App State. They lost to Mississippi State. Uh, Max Johnson is their quarterback. They finally figured out their quarterback situation. But Jimbo Fisher is running 
an old school style of offense that is outdated. And they're taking on an Alabama team, even though we don't know the status of Bryce Young. I think that Jalen Milroe can come in and not skip a beat. And how about Jameer Gibbs running the way he's been running with 200 yards rushing? I think it's going to be a blowout. I think Alabama, you know, they made a statement win against Arkansas over the weekend, and uh, they are about to wreak havoc against the Texas A&M Aggies in prime time. What do you think? You're an Alabama fan. I mean, you you think uh, you think the Tide are just going to roll over the Aggies? I I don't think they're going to roll over the Aggies because I, you got to think. If if you're down in A&M right now and you're getting ready for this week, you're coming off the loss to uh the loss to uh Mississippi State. You still reeling from the loss to App State and you're you know your coach had your back this summer and you heard everything that's going on. They're playing everything that Nick Saban said on the loop in the weight room in practice. Like they're gonna have those they're gonna have uh the, the Jimbo's gonna have them ready to play. They're they're gonna. It's not gonna be a, 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 a Alabama blowout. I think the score. I think the score is gonna be closer than the experts uh, expect. Like how they beat Arkansas. Because remember, when Bright when Bryce Young went out, they were they were up, and Arkansas made a run in the second half, and Ar- Alabama didn't put it away until Gibbs had those two two long runs in the fourth quarter. Um, but I do like the quarter, the backup quarterback. That dude is solid. Like when he came in, I was like, "Who the running back that's back there?" I I didn't realize he was the backup QB. Like you said, I don't think they miss a beat at all with him in the game. Um, I don't think they'll play Bryce, but I think they're he's day to day. Um, but if I know if, if Nick feels that he can go, he'll put him in. But, I mean, they're confident in either of the two backup quarterbacks to go in there and do what needs to be done, especially when you got a whole week of practice. And it's not like, hey, you're throwing them in because your quarterback just got hurt in a big game. They got a week to prepare. And if, it, if Bryce is in that film room and he's helping them prepare, along with as much as I hate Bill O'Brien, I mean, he, he's going to make sure that they're ready to play. One thing in that game, when Arkansas was making their run, they were down 28-23. to 23. Alabama got into a situation where it was a third and long, and Milrow just took off. And you saw his playmaking capabilities. That and also Jameer Gibbs, two 70-yard runs, put, really put the game away for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then after Texas A&M, I know it's going to happen in two weeks, Gabe, I got to ask you, Alabama's schedule, they got some tough road games, especially with the way Tennessee is playing, the way Ole Miss is playing, and now LSU after getting an impressive win over Auburn. I think the LSU is starting to play well. Which road contest is going to be the most challenging for Alabama, and which road contest out of Tennessee, Ole Miss, and LSU could you see the Crimson Tide losing? I would say Tennessee uh, because of the simple fact that Josh Heupel offense is it is very hard to prepare for. That tempo last year, uh, you know, they Tennessee Tennessee hung with Alabama, uh, and everybody was still learning the offense. They were still learning that. 
Now Hooker has command and control of that offense. I think if you go back to week two and you watch how Pittsburgh handled it, Pittsburgh tried to run the ball to keep the offense off the field. And that worked for a little bit. But when Tennessee got in the game and the defense was the defense was rested, Tennessee just ran ran it down and just went down the field real quick. Alabama can score in bunches just as well as Tennessee can. So it's really and truly going to come down to the defense. Whose defense is going to be on the side on the sideline longer to long enough to get a break? I still think that Alabama can. I think I still think that if if, if there's a, a tricky game in there, playing Tennessee on the road uh, this year, because that that fan base up in Knoxville is electric right now. It is electric. They think that they can beat Georgia right now. That's how electric that fan base is up there. So I think Alabama is going to run into a, a, a buzzsaw when they go to uh, Neyland Stadium for the third Saturday in October and play that game. One of those that's tricky because it's Lane Kiff never know. But Lane kind of talked a lot of stuff last year and really couldn't do anything about it. LSU – LSU and Alabama, that's always going to be a game. Same with Auburn. Uh, you can just throw the records out the window. But if anybody has anything to prove, and there's a game that stood out on the calendar that is probably circled as a game that's probably the most dangerous, it will be the Tennessee game. That is a good call. And, Gabe, I actually think – I'm going to make a bold prediction. I think that when the season is over and we get into conference championships – Ohio State's still going to be undefeated. I think that USC is still going to be undefeated. And Clemson is still going to be undefeated. So even if Alabama, Georgia, or Tennessee, if there's an SEC team out there with one loss, I think that they're going to be left out of the college football playoff. I don't know. I I, I disagree that Ohio State is going to be undefeated. Michigan. Every Every year, Ohio State does this. They they always they get the preseason hype. They 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 start out strong, and then there's always one game that you think Ohio State should blow that team out, and that's the one game that trips them up. It won't be Penn State. It definitely won't be Michigan this year. I don't know if they play. They, I don't think they played them yet. But I Iowa Iowa is always the tricky game. Iowa yeah. Iowa's always the tricky game. Um, even though they lost to Michigan and, you know, they, they lost to Michigan at home, every top five in the past, up until this year, the past seven years, anytime a top 10 team has gone into Iowa, they lost. And I think Ohio State has to go to Iowa this year. It's actually going to be in Columbus. Okay. Iowa has beaten Ohio State in Columbus since Brian Day has been the coach and with Urban Meyer as the coach. That is very true. They play Michigan State, who's having a down year. They're two and three. This Saturday, they host Iowa. Then they travel to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. Then That's, they travel. Is that, oh, yeah. Is that, the, is that the whiteout game? That should be the whiteout game October 29th. Right now, Penn a, State, 5-0. and oh. if, if that's a primetime game and Ohio State can get through Iowa, that may be the – who's after Penn State? Northwestern. Who's after Penn State? Northwestern. Where they play Northwestern at? In Northwestern. 
that might be the, that may be the game that trips them up. Because they you got to think Ohio State gets up for the big game. It's when they it's when they play the other games that you get that letdown after a big game. Who's after Northwestern? Indiana. So they don't have any other big game until they play Michigan. Exactly. I mean, they play at Maryland, but you know, Maryland. Even though they're four and one, they got two as younger brother. I mean, Loxley's uh, offense there, but you know, Maryland did lose to Michigan. Right. Because you don't have a trap game in there, you don't have a trap game at all. Ohio State may be looking ahead to Penn State. Iowa may trip them up. Penn State, if Penn State can get them at home, that throws everything out of whack. And then you still can't rule out the Michigan game. You still can't rule out the Michigan game. So I, I'm not I'm not sold completely on Ohio State just yet, but Everybody else, I, I mean, USC may make a run and and get into the playoffs. Clemson's schedule is too weak. So even an undefeated Clemson and a one-loss SEC team, that they may jump Clemson because the ACC is completely down. So depending on who, who Clemson would play in the ACC championship, they may not get in there. I, I could see them going to whatever that secondary, whatever the, 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 the New Year's Day Bowl, but they may not make it to the playoffs. All right, looking at the new AP Top 25, we got Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Ohio State 3, Michigan 4. A lot of undefeated teams, including Oklahoma State. I mean, Oklahoma State could run the table and go undefeated and possibly get into the college football playoff. But let's look at the teams that are still undefeated, like Syracuse, Kansas, TCU and UCLA, if they finish undefeated, do you think a team down at the bottom of the rankings has a shot at getting into the college football playoff? The only way they would have a shot is if they pull, they would have to, it would have to be an upset. With Oklahoma, like a team that, if, if, if Oklahoma State gets into the top five and then they lose and then TCU or somebody beats them, then they got a chance. With Oklahoma losing now, you everybody in the Big 12 is rooting for Oklahoma State because that's the only thing that you have left to get a get a shot at getting at the college football playoffs. TCU, their schedule is not strong. Even if they beat Texas and Baylor, because Texas lost and Oklahoma has lost, you've lost the two marquee teams in that in that uh in that conference. So you you need a and you didn't play a strong enough out of out of a conference schedule. So you would have let's say TCU beats Oklahoma State and then they turn around and, and play each other again in the Big 12 championship. TCU would have to beat Oklahoma State again. But would that be enough to jump a one loss SEC team? Because look at how many teams you got ranked in the SEC and look at how many teams you got ranked in the Big Ten. Look at how many teams you got ranked in the Big 12. And look at how many teams you got ranked in the ACC. Is a Wake Forest going to be appealing to the eye to want to be want for, for you to put them in the college football playoff? I don't think so. And Wake Forest is having a great year. Is NC State uh, a big enough opponent for Clemson to beat to say, hey, Clemson should be in the college football playoff? Mm, not really. USC, if it comes down between USC and UCLA, 
maybe. But I still think USC is a, is another. They need another year. They still don't have that marquee win. They don't have that marquee uh, win yet against an out of out of uh, out of conference team. So I still think it could be. It'll be one. It'll be one team from the, the Big Ten. Michigan. You got to think. Michigan and Ohio State are gonna cancel each other out. Alabama and Georgia. They're either gonna cancel each other out or they're gonna be. They're gonna have one loss. And if they still on par. And playing the SEC championship, one of them is gonna have two losses. So that may that helps Oklahoma State. That helps USC. Clemson may still get upset. They still gotta play Miami. They still gotta play um uh Virginia Tech. They still gotta play Virginia, and then they still gotta play the ACC championship, which will probably be against Pittsburgh. So they may that's not a surefire lock yet. I still think that either Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia. One of those four teams, those four teams are going to be a lock until they cancel each other out. And then you're waiting to see what, what everybody else does. This may be the year that the Big Ten get two teams in. The SEC always gets two teams in. The, the Pac-12 ain't been in since Oregon. So the Pac-12 is banking on USC to just get into the top three. And then that guarantees them a spot. I pretty much think that USC is the only hope that they have to save college football in at least California, but on the West Coast because, you know, right now it's USC, and I, I really can't think of anybody else on the West Coast that could even compete in the college football playoff. Um, UCLA is still, uh, it's still, it's still there. Oh, Chip um, Kelly, yeah, I, I'm very happy about what UCLA is doing, but. Very disappointed in the fan base. I mean, they yeah. got some big games, and you got half-full stadiums. I went on a rant on my show a couple of weeks ago that people in California do not care about college football. Um, I think they, I think they go where the, where the, where the hot, whatever the hot team is at the time. So, like, Lincoln Riley, everybody knows Lincoln Riley. They're the fun team to go watch. Chip Kelly, eh, not so much. Well, you got celebrities at the Coliseum. I mean, right. of course that they're, they're there. Lincoln Riley. I mean, USC right now is is got everybody in Southern California buzzing. It's like the early two thousands with Pete Carroll, Matt Liner, Reggie Bush. Those were some fun teams. That's where uh, UCLA is hurting. Uh, but if they're going to get into the playoffs, this would be the year because when they move to the Big Ten, it's it's going to be that much harder. Absolutely. Gabe, let's switch gears because I know you like the NBA. We got NBA preseason going on. The season is just around the corner. I am so excited. Of course, the Golden State Warriors are defending their NBA title. The Memphis Grizzlies, a, a team that you have some investing interest rooting for, looking to be one of the top teams in the Western Conference. I think Dallas is going to have a, a decent year. The Lakers. Darvin Ham has taken over a Lakers team that actually feels that they can make a deep run in the NBA playoffs with the big three. They did sign Patrick Beverly, but they still have Russell Westbrook. With a healthy AD and a healthy LeBron going into, what, year 20? Can the Lakers win an NBA title? Uh, It's going to be hard, man. I, I, I mean, you got, you got too many good teams out there. With, with with younger players, with hungrier players, um, you, you still got uh, 
tough teams in the East that you got to contend with. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if Pat Beverly was enough to get the Lakers over the hump with LeBron, AD, and Russ and Westbrook. You see, I mean, the Clippers, you got a healthy uh, uh, Kawhi coming back. You got a healthy Paul George coming back. You still got uh, Phoenix with Booker, Aiden, and Chris Paul. You got um, Zion coming back, you know, down in down in New Orleans. I don't think they'll be a, a contender, but, I mean, they're still, a, a, you know, McCullum and, and Zion's going to be a, a good duo. You still got you still got the young team out there. You know, you got the Grizzlies with, with their young nucleus. And then you still got the defending champs. Like until until you can beat Golden State and you can stop Clay and Steph and Draymond and uh now James Wiseman who factors into that equation. I, I, I just I think the Lakers will be a playoff team, but can they can they win a championship? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, and then you got to look. Golden State, not Golden State. Brooklyn, if they can get uh, Kyrie and KD back on the same page, and then factor in Ben Simmons, there may be a team out east that could be sneaky good. Same with uh, Philly, may be sneaky good with that uh, duo of Embiid and Harden. It, it, and it, you still can't count out Giannis. You still can't count out Giannis and uh and and, and Milwaukee. So it, it's too much parity in the league right now, and too many teams that that are gonna be um, in the mix. I am very excited about the NBA season, and it will kick off. I'm looking at the schedule, October the 18th. Man, you got the 76ers taking on the Boston Celtics. And the Lakers taking on the Golden State Warriors. I will definitely be up to watch that game as the Golden State Warriors will reveal their championship banner. They'll get their rings. I love the fact they're doing it against the Lakers because all my life I've heard about how great the Lakers dynasty was. It has been a train wreck for the past 10 seasons. And I'll give you a team to look out for. I think they could sneak into the playoffs, and that's the Sacramento Kings. They have not made the playoffs since 2006. I guess if they make it into the play-in game, does that snap the postseason drought, Gabe? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm going to say it does. <laughs> yeah, I think the Kings the do. Games, I don't. I don't. I don't count the play-in game as a playoff game. You're right because they go into the lottery, so they're not part of the playoffs. Right. I think the Kings will make it into the play-in game this year. You think so? I think so. They have. So they have four players that are in the top 100 for players in the NBA. De'Aaron Fox is their point guard. Keegan Murray is uh, their rookie that they drafted. Amatatis Sabonis was an all-star in Indy. They've got Harrison Barnes with that championship pedigree with Golden State. I'm telling you, Gabe, I think that the Sacramento Kings, they're going to be a fun, flashy team this year. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. I'm same. I I I mean I, I'm pulling for for Sacramento and I'm pulling for the uh for the coach. I, I want to see if he can get them back to prominence. Oh, Mike Brown, yes, Mike Brown, who I think he's a very underrated coach. He led LeBron and the Cavaliers to the NBA Finals in 2007. Who did LeBron have on that team? Larry Hughes. I mean, there wasn't really anybody on that team. And nobody. It was LeBron and everybody else. 
pretty much. But Mike Brown was the coach. He coached the Lakers after Phil Jackson retired and kind of got an unfair, you know, they, they showed him the door, and then they went after Mike D'Antoni. I mean, the, what they were trying to do is they were trying to get Phil Jackson back. I remember, I, Gabe, I've been watching the documentary on Hulu. So, you know, they were trying to get Phil Jackson back because they realized they could not win without Phil Jackson. True. True. But you know the funny thing is when the Lakers won the championship in the bubble, Frank Vogel, who has won a title with the Lakers, that was the first head coach that wasn't named Phil Jackson or Pat Riley in the last 40 years. Actually, I'm going to say 35 years because Paul West had won a title with the Lakers. That was the first head coach to win a championship for the Lakers, and the coach was not Phil Jackson or Pat Riley. Yeah, I, but I still, I'm like everybody else, I still put an asterisk on that uh, championship in the bubble. I do too. Because, I, yeah, absolutely. Because it was in the bubble. It is like, eh, y'all, had a, y'all had a whole new training camp just to get ready to go into the bubble. And then you only played 10 games and everybody didn't go to the bubble. And then you went out and play, it was like, eh, nah, nah. I can't, I can't in good conscience uh, condone that one. <laughs> the record books is, is there, but it's like, eh, but did you really? Did you? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I know what we talked about this Lakers documentary. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I just watched episode nine. Episode 10 is going to talk about them signing LeBron. Uh, it's going to be hard to watch because they are going to have to talk about the death of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I would probably have the tissues out for that one because, you know, just having them talk about Kobe because they they talked about when he dropped 60 in his final game. I mean, even that was emotional because, you know, he was interviewed a lot on that documentary, but it was archive footage. Ah, okay. So, yeah, that's going to be tough. I do not like the Lakers, but I am fascinated with their story. I think that what they have done, it's been a roller coaster. It's been a bumpy ride for the Lakers. They are a championship pedigree team with multiple championships. And then for the past decade, I mean, look at all the players they just got rid of. Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, D'Angelo Russell, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball. I mean, are you kidding me? Just so they can get AD and Russell Westbrook? Yeah, you saw the farm to get older. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but last year that the memes were funny because they had a it pretty much were casting for the movie Uncle Drew. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Oh man, Gabe, it's been great having you on the show. Uh definitely would love to have you back on so we could talk some more football and when the NBA season starts back up we'll talk a little bit about the nba season as well but you take care of yourself you do the same man appreciate you having me on all right that was gabe riddles and i hope everybody enjoyed this latest edition of the show and uh, just a reminder that you can find us on iHeartRadio, apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you tomorrow bye everybody